What do you do when two just won't do? This episode of Impolite Society, we dig into the world of polyamory. But this isn't your grandma's swingers club. Polyamory centers around the idea of engaging in meaningful, romantic, and physical relationships with multiple partners, turning the very core of our monogamous world upside down. Are polyamorous showing us an enlightened, codependency-free lifestyle? Or can you really have your cake and eat it too? We explore what polyamory is, how the lifestyle works, and if it really can make you happier, all to get to the bottom of our question, is monogamy a dead end? That's what you're in for today on In Polite Society. You're listening to Impolite Society with Laura and Rachel. And that is the drums playing us in. Or is that the knocking of boots? Many, many boots. <laughs> so it's a typical Thursday night. Damn straight. Because today we've got a sexy question for you here on Impolite Society. We are the podcast that tackles the taboo that you cannot discuss in polite society and i'm laura and i am rachel i don't know if i want to keep that i like it (laughs) (laughs) because we know you guys you like the sexy stuff you like them sexy episodes yeah you fucking filthy animals (laughs) jesus christ for all degenerates here it's okay we're not judging you too much but We see what you like to listen to, and we know it's sex dolls. Yeah. (laughs) But today we do have a sexy, sexy question. But before I get into that, I did want to say, you guys might have noticed in our last episode, we did have a slight format change. We're we're switching things up a little bit. You might have noticed we're doing more weaving of the musings rather than keeping it all at the end. Just like we weave our tricksy women webs. Which is exactly what we're doing. And we're going to continue that feel. So let us know if you guys like it. We're going to sprinkle the sex facts throughout the episode. So you have to listen to us muse. <laughs> Get all your sex facts. I'm sorry. We've got another indie inquiry for you guys today. And this is where we take rude questions from our friends out in the indie podcast scene. And today's question, it comes from one of our best indie podcast friend. She is such a solid person, such a solid supporter. She is the queen of drunken debauchery, or at least the stories of it. She is the host of Wild Nights with Rocky Powell, and she is Rocky Powell and our favorite gal pal indie podcaster. And she has a great question for us here today. Hello ladies, Rocky here from Wild Nights with Rocky Powell. I have recently got back onto Tinder. Most, if not 99.8% of the guys I match with all want to be in polyamorous relationships. They are dating multiple partners and I get that in the beginning dating more than one woman but for me I lean more towards wanting to be in a monogamous relationship just does not seem like that is the norm in 2021. What is the scoop with modern day polyamory in American culture? Because I just want to be hip to it. Do I need to evolve? Should I be leaning more towards this? Or do you think I can hold out hope for a monogamous relationship? Or is it just impossible? I don't know. What are your thoughts? Give them to me. I don't care how impolite they are. God bless you, Rocky. Dating is hard enough to navigate. And why we got to make it even harder with this kind of shit, with these kind of curveballs? And that leads us to our rude question of the day. Is monogamy a dead end? Is there an end in sight? Is this the thing that we should be abandoning to make it towards the enlightened polyamorous? And polyamory is quite a curveball, guys. Or maybe it's a ball of string because this is a hard thing to unravel. Or is it our most natural state of being? Well, I guess find we will out. find out. Yeah. And honestly, it, it took a lot to decide exactly what this was. I didn't really know 
what it was until I did all the research. And to be honest, I'm still not 100% sure about what it is and what it isn't. So what the hell is polyamory? What is the deal with polyamory? I'm sorry. I just started watching Seinfeld for the first time. You just started watching it? Oh, I wish I could watch it for the first time. Well, just like Jerry, this shit is 90s, okay? The term polyamory is new. It is 90s new. This blew my mind. If I was to guess what decade polyamory came from i would say like the 60s like free yeah. love and and that movement as opposed to uh bill clinton's 90s so the term polyamorous was first used in print in 1990 totally insane not when i would have guessed it and i think it's because i thought it was part of polygamy which is an ancient practice of people having multiple spouses men having multiple wives and it blew my mind to find that this was just not so. The words polyamory, polyamorous, and polyamorist were added to the Oxford English Dictionary in 2006. My theory behind that is love and sexual interest was not necessarily tied to marriage until very recently. Those were two separate things. So when you have your uh, polygamist, I don't think that was necessarily always a consenting and romantic relationship between that guy and yeah. all of his wives. So it was added to the dictionary in 2006. <laughs> what is the official definition? What did the, um, the well, actually, folks <laughs> at the Merriam-Webster company, what did they decide that polyamory meant? It is defined as, quote, the practice, state, or ability of having more than one sexual loving relationship at the same time with the full knowledge and consent of all partners involved. So the key word here is consent. Polyamory is a form of consensual non-monogamy. You're going to hear that term a lot, so get familiar with it. Consensual non-monogamy. And this can take a ton of different forms. It's polyamory, open relationships, swinging, and I'm sure there are a ton more of terms that I don't know about. The thing is, these things are difficult to define. And I'm going to get back to that. But so what all these forms of consensual non-monogamy have in common is that they're considered ethical forms of non-monogamy. So no one is being cheated on or lied to. Everything has been agreed upon beforehand. It's very consensual. Everyone is on the same page. So you would talk mm -hmm. about whether to add somebody to your relationship or everything's happening within the bounds of the agreement, which is where that consensual piece comes in. Precisely. And the difference here between polyamory and an open or swinging relationship is in most of those open or swinging relationships, there's a primary partnership that's at the center of everything. Relationships or midnight dalliances with others, those are usually purely sexual. So there's a Netflix and chill here, a romp at the swingers club there, and there's an agreement of emotional monogamy. So it is not a polyamorous relationship that emotional intimacy in usually swingers or open relationships is only between the primary partner. Everything outside of it is just sex. Not the case with polyamory. Everything in that relationship is the agreement that emotional intimacy is allowed with others and part of that deal. And I say that it's usually part of the deal because polyamory can mean different things to different people. There's no one way to do things. And each couple or thruple makes up their own rules. There's no agreed upon rules in polyamory. So it's something that is really defined by the individual, which is good because it leads to a lot of flexibility, but also bad because it's very confusing and rife with a ton of complications. Is it confusing and complicated or is it personalized and tailored to the individual situation? Because we all love customization this day and age. Oh, I hear all about it. It's like Netflix. You go on, you log in, it knows what you're thinking. Blah, 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 blah. You can make your relationship like that. You could program the algorithm of your relationship to be like your TikTok and give you the shit you actually want out of life. In theory. We'll get to that. TikTok doesn't always get it right either. I don't know. I'm just saying that. <laughs> the core tenets of polyamory are the consent of all involved, that there is commitment to the relationship or relationships, 
that both men and women can have multiple partnerships. So it's egalitarian in that way. And romance and emotional intimacy is allowed with others outside of, again, a primary relationship. We'll get into the different levels or hierarchy of relationships later. And the configurations that you can come up with are endless. There are geometric graphics to explain how all of this could work. <laughs> like constellations in the stars. I'm in a uh, Orion relationship <laughs> because there's three of us in the belt and we're holding up the rest of the pants. Uh, exactly. The pants group. <laughs> it could be a triangle where three people are in a group relationship, so like that thruple. There could be a central mm-hmm. person who has equal relationship with two others. So imagine like a, like a V, the main person is at the crux of the V. Or a couple that has their own side relationship, so more like that Orion's belt, like a linear line. Or a poly family where one big happy family all hangs out together. And for the record, I would prefer any other term here other than family. <laughs> why, why do they not count as a family if they're in a committed relationship with each other? Again, it just brings to mind incestuous. If you've got like a huge group of six people, it's, oh, okay, everyone's fucking everyone. And you call yourself a family. So it's like mom, dad, uncle, brother. Well, I don't think they throw that in there, but you fuck your husband and he's your family. I don't think of him as family. I think of like, this is like my family, but I don't think of, oh, yes, here is a member of my family, my husband. I definitely consider my husband to be a member of my family. He is like my primary family member. Yeah. I will admit I am coming to the table with a lot of uh, ick factor. I'm trying to work past it in a lot of these. I'm trying. Because the world is a cruel and dark place. And if you find your family, whether it's who you were born into or who you want to have sex with, if that's your family, if that's the people you trust and care about the most, more power to you. Everyone needs a place to belong. I don't disagree with that. When I think of the word family and sex in the same sentence. We're, how do you make a family? You have sex. That literally creates family. You know what it is? Is when I think of like family, I think of like my family. So my mother, my father, my brothers, my uncles and aunts and cousins. I think of a family around a turkey dinner at Thanksgiving. And then when you think of family that also has sex with each other, I'm like imagining my family boning down on each other. And the immediate reaction is, <laughs> it's is of horror. So that's exactly where it comes from. But some families go annually to Disney World, but my family doesn't do that. That's the perspective I took. If they want to get together and they want to call themselves a family, I hear that sex bonds people, honestly. So maybe they are very bonded so to each other. So you're saying that at my family Thanksgiving, we should bow down on each other? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I'm saying the only thing you should bone down on is a turkey. (laughs) God, I'm ready for Thanksgiving. It's really hard to say how common this is. So some studies say that polyamory is up to 20% of the population. Other people say 4 to 5%. No one really knows because there is a big stigma that's attached to it. In this research, I was reminded a lot of our BDSM episode only with a ton less graphic images because this is a really hard group to study and sampling can be tricky. And so we're going to get back to that later in some of the research. Now that we know what polyamory is and what it isn't, is there something about our modern society that's making monogamy less popular than ever before? So here's my thinking, and it ties back to our good friend, evolutionary biology, Mm -hmm. right? Monogamy kind of goes against evolutionary biology because the thought is to spread your seed as far as possible. Mm -hmm. So in that case, a man should be having sex with as many women as possible to have as many offspring as possible. And by being in a committed monogamous relationship, you are actually limiting your prolificness, as one would say. But that only works when there's a a plethora of females to mate with because humans have the longest childhood. Mm -hmm. They're hard to raise, man. They could die at any second. So if you're out here just dropping your seed and running, here comes another male behind you. And if if your lady is lactating, she is not ovulating. There's a rhyme in there somewhere. (laughs) And 
the best way to get her back in the mood is to just Mm -hmm. get rid of that little kiddo. At some point in our evolutionary history, it became advantageous for the male to stay with the one woman to help see that child through the breastfeeding years so that his seed was propagated and took root. And he wasn't just scattering his seeds all over the continent like Johnny Appleseed. This progeny would actually reach adulthood. Yes, to propagate its own Johnny Appleseed situation. I think that the idea of monogamy came from a lack of choices. Well, then comes along these little apps in our hands like Tinder and Bumble and Hinge. All of a sudden, we have more choices than ever before. So it is no surprise to me that monogamy has become less popular in this day and age because as soon as you meet somebody and you, you have a connection with them, you can go out there and find like 80 more people you want to bone instantly and connect with a few of them. Mm -hmm. So the choice here is really what has led us away from monogamy. I would argue that monogamy for a period of time is the most natural state of the human being because of evolutionary biology. So I'm not talking 30, 40, 70 year monogamy. I'm talking there is a period of time where you meet, you have that amazing connection. Chemical. The, yeah. Oh, your your reaction. brain is firing like bonkers. You bone, you make the baby, and babies be cute, right? So you stick around. <laughs> and well, uh, yeah, they, they're cute. And then also they start saying things like, I love you, and all these kind of things. And they just they rope you in. <laughs> they tricky like that. Babies be tricky. And so And so I I think that shorter periods of time in monogamy are the most natural way of doing things. The seven-year itch is uh, a natural thing. That's the time that it takes a child to be born and kind of grow into a semi-independent state that mom and dad are supposed to stay together. And then after that, it's like, what's that over there? (laughs) But society has taken that to the extreme and saying, you marry, you are with that one person until you die. Death also was a lot more frequent when you were A lot younger as well. Yes. Yeah. So that seven-year itch might not have happened so much in the old days because you have a baby with a lady. You have maybe the second one. She dies. Oh, here's the next thing. Next one's coming along. Hot young thing. Yeah. Yeah. Until death do us part, that hit different. (laughs) couple centuries ago than it does today. It's true. And so I I think that you're right in saying we have more choices than ever before right now. But I've read multiple studies. None of them are linked here because this wasn't a part of my research. But that choice, when you're given like a limited amount of choices, it increases your satisfaction. When you're given like this infinite amount of choices, it decreases your satisfaction. So when you have... 12 different options to choose from you choose the one and you're like oh god did i choose right and you're in what about those 11 other choices exactly but where if you have two or three choices you're like no i'm confident in my rational ability you know i'm happy with my one thing so as these choices have expanded i don't think it's surprising that people have tried to be like no i can have it all but does that really make you happier Well, and it's a mix, right? Because there is actually a book that I read, Modern Romance by Aziz Ansari. You know, this is before he the the allegations of him Mm -hmm. assaulting a lady came out. But he has a book about modern love. And the first couple chapters are just about proximity. Back in the day, you just married who was in your town, right? And you were like, yeah, this is the best guy for me in my town of... 2,000 people were great. But nowadays, you can connect to so many. Mm -hmm. So you always have those options. And along those same lines, thinking about choice, when I was a kid, I grew up without cable. I had 12 channels. (laughs) And I would happily watch the reruns of The King of Queens every night because that was the best of the 12. But now that I have Netflix, it takes me four fucking ever to pick what I want to watch. And even still, I always feel like there's something else I should be watching. And I think that that perfectly sums up our issue or our hesitation to be monogamous this day and age. 
Yeah, when there's so many options out there, you ha- can't help but wonder what you're missing. And so, yeah, I think that FOMO. Oh, to the extreme. FOMO to the extreme. And, and of course, now with our more liberal society, we're telling people that it's okay to follow their urges and live the way that they want to live. So there's not as much rigid social structure in place to tell people what they can and cannot do. People are allowed to stray from the, quote, correct path. I also think we're very permeated with this idea of a soulmate. Mm. I feel like a lot of people are very hyper-focused on that, where one person should be everything to you. So when you are comparing the people you go on your Bumble or your Tinder dates with, you're not comparing them against the other people you've met. You're comparing them against your soulmate. Yeah. That's the criteria that you are the one person that's created for me and you're going to perfectly fill all of my needs. That can range from like your emotional fulfillment to the best sex of your life. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't exist. I, <laughs> the soulmate doesn't exist. That missing of it is what leads to polyamory too, which is also maybe why we see it in the last couple decades because that's when people start thinking about soulmates and Disney yeah. has permeated our culture enough where we're like, I need the best of everything. So we've got our own theories as to why this lifestyle is having a moment. But what do polyamorous say? And we're going to dig into what those polyamorous say after this quick break. There is not one reason or one definitive list. There was no research that said we interviewed 500 polyamorous and these are the things that they said were the reason. There's nothing like that. So I had to do some digging, right? So some opinion articles and things like that to find some of the reasons mm. that people said. So here are a few from the polyamorous mouth. They want more. So they love their partner, but they feel limited with only one person. They want the world and they're going to take it. Good for them. Also, people feel like they're just naturally capable of loving more than one person at the same time. Love cannot be divided. Some people are just curious. Can I make this work? Can I have the best of both worlds? They want to dabble in it and see how that goes. Mm. I mean, that that goes back to Seinfeld and the question, like, can we have this and that? <laughs> That's the Hannah Montana argument. It's the best of both worlds. I know nothing about Hannah Montana. Some people have just had terrible experiences with monogamy and they want to try something else, which I get. If something burns you, you want to try something else. I get that. Another one, this is my favorite, circumstances made it an option. As in, one partner wanted to do it, so the other person tried it. So there are a lot of things to take into consideration before we can kick off into these kinds of relationships. You know, it's not meant for everybody. So who are you? Because polyamorous people, they have a few things in common. They're a pretty homogenous group. So they are white, college educated, and they have better than average paying jobs. And depending on what study you ask, people of color account from zero to 4% of the poly community, which means... This is our old friend here. White people shit. It does have a varying degree of some white people shit. And I've heard that also the the highly educated piece comes into it a lot as well. Mm-hmm. Because 40% of people who identify as poly have a master's degree compared to our overall societal level percentage of eight. Yeah. <laughs> if I had a guess what they had master's degrees in... I would say probably like softer sciences. I don't think these are engineers. So I think it's a specific kind of person. I will also say the causation correlation thing on the affluent piece of it, because it's like if you're working multiple jobs to make ends meet, you don't got time for more relationships. Mm -hmm. These are people who can, they can outsource. They can have their groceries delivered. They can have their houses cleaned. They can make time for their octo orgies or whatever because they can um, afford to well and if we're gonna go with the theory that if you're in that privileged position then you also come from privilege you can also say what kind of lives that they've had that have led to this kind of need right if i'm picking up what you're putting down it's tying into the needs being met and the different kinds of needs being met that they come from a a privileged background. So they have always had their needs met. 
So they're used to having everything that they need and everything that they want. Yes. So they're not used to compromising. Yes. And if you're going to take part in this, you're probably going to be a dude. So Rocky, the research backs you up on this when you're going back to your uh, dating app and looking on these things. Women are significantly less likely to engage in this behavior than men. And the greatest portion of people who are open to it were sexual minorities. And that tracks, again, with our BDSM research in that episode. People who have non-traditional sexual behavior – this kind of thing is more popular with them. And that makes sense. They're individuals who've already said, these are your norms. This ain't my thing. I'm doing my own thing. So it's more popular amongst gay, lesbian, and bisexual individuals. If we're looking at it from a traditionally like monogamous standpoint of a heterosexual couple, if there's more men who are involved in it, then from that lens, there would need to be women who are participating as well. But if you add on the fact that they're more inclined to be homosexual men, well, that kind of puts a different spin on it, right? Because as we talked about in the BDSM, that men are Mm hyper-sexualized so that gay men are having more sex, more sexual partners Mm -hmm. compared to uh, heterosexual relationships. So could it be that percentage of men that elevates it is from the homosexual community just because they are more sexualized. Not that they're preying on women, but they're just, that's the culture that they're in. That makes sense to me. There's a a subset of heterosexual male and females that participate in this. And then there's additional subset of homosexual males that participate, which then brings the percentage up of men. Okay. So if you're someone who also cares a lot about what people think of you, polyamory is probably not for you. So this is a huge stigma. And this affects your job, your family, custody battles with children. Society views people that have these kind of relationships. They look at them as Icky, honestly, flawed, icky, lower relationship quality people. So if you're really sensitive to that kind of stuff, this ain't your cup of tea. You could lose your children because you are in a triad. That's a specific court case where a woman lost her child to the child's biological grandparents. Yes, because they said that she was living a depraved lifestyle. Yeah, I read some other stuff about that, though, where like she also was like, no, you're right. I can't take like, I literally can't take care of this child. Like, she didn't have the means and, like, all this other kind of stuff. And it, it was one factor in that overall decision. Uh. But it makes a sensational news story, right? And another thing to look out for in these relationships is an unequal power dynamic. So if you are in a committed, entwined relationship, financially, lifestyle, everything is entwined. And the person who makes the most money wants to go poly, um... It can make things difficult. But I don't think this just applies to polyamorous relationship. That's kind of everything in life. So whoever makes the money calls the shots. It's where you live, what couch you buy, where you go on vacation. Oh, yes. What sexual things you try in the bedroom. And it's almost like domestic work should be valued by our society to the point where there is some kind of financial compensation, maybe through a program like Universal Basic Income. (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> I always like to sneak it in whenever yeah, I can. It was like uh, all the episodes. I didn't think that this would come in, but here we are again, UBI. <laughs> if we're going to say that if you're financially dependent on someone, you're more likely to engage in a polyamorous relationship. I'm just saying that if we can give people options, they're not going to be forced into doing anything they don't want. Absolutely. And the polyamorous relationships, these aren't all just sunshine and daisies having all kinds of sex and love and intimacy and just feeling amazing all the time. There are a lot of pitfalls in these relationships, as you can imagine. First one of which is time management. So if you have more than one partner, you have more than one person to please. And that leaves a lot less time for each of your partners and less time for yourself. So you have to balance the needs of your partners. That means that sometimes the needs for yourself can be pushed aside to please the group or the opposite. Sometimes you push yourself ahead of the needs of the group. Somebody is getting shortchanged here. So that's a difficult thing to juggle. I'm a little confused as well because you might have two partners, 
But you're, I guess, in the linear space, right? You're trying to meet both of all their needs. But let's say I have a partner and they have another partner, then can that help with the time management because I don't have to be that person's fully emotional support? Can I share that load with somebody else? Yeah, I think in theory that you can. I think that comes down to the customization, but also the complications. Customization. That's a corporate word. (laughs) Of these relationships that it's, yeah, if, if you're balancing two relationships and that other person already has another person, then I think it kind of works out more naturally. But if your partner A or B doesn't have another person at the moment, because relationships start and fail, it doesn't, you're not a poly monogamy forever. Do you know what I mean? It's not till death to us part. So Some relationships. Some could be, right? Yeah, in they the could triad. be. Yeah, absolutely. But things fall in and fall out naturally with relationships, as we know from monogamy and polyamory, that things don't last forever all the time. So there are times when your partner on your left doesn't have another person to share that load, but their person on the right does. And, And so it can get complicated. These are the kinds of things that you have to navigate when you're in these relationships. So what you're saying is the relationships are complicated regardless of how many people are involved. Absolutely. <laughs> I hand to the Bible. Yes, sir. Yes. Relationships Guaranteed. are complicated. Yeah. Another thing also related to any relationship you've ever had is communication. It's important. And if you aren't a, an extrovert or articulate person, you might find yourself getting the short end of the stick. And this, again, is true in any relationship, but I think it's amplified when you're also trying to vie for time with other individuals. So this is something that they said that you should look out for. And as we mentioned, complexity. There are not rule books for this. So this is something that you kind of make up as you go. What works with one couple doesn't work with another couple. What works in your thruple doesn't work for your side people. Everyone has different needs. So you have to figure out what's allowed and what's not. This can be difficult. It can be a trial and error process. So people get hurt and they get disappointed. Hopefully they communicate about it. It doesn't happen again. But as we know in relationships... Sometimes that doesn't happen. There's a lot to figure out here. So those pieces all fit together, right? Yeah. The the time management and the communication fit into the complexity. Yeah. Mm Because you're trying to have these different meaningful relationships with different people. And one relationship like that takes a lot of work. Multiply it across the board. Precisely. And there's also jealousy. Polyamorous people are human beings and they do get jealous. This is something that was mentioned in multiple articles that I listed. And it's important to talk through these feelings with your partner or your partners. But again, we're human. We're sticky. Things don't always get talked about. And jealousy is a natural human thing in any relationship. And it's something that, again, might be amplified in a polyamorous relationship. And I've heard in my research, I saw that this was a common thing that came up, right? Jealousy. And if I see my partner kissing somebody else and I get jealous, I've heard that in the community, they're told to ask themselves, like, why? Why do I feel jealous that my partner is kissing somebody in front of me? Like, what does that take away from me? And there's a word in the community called compersion. Oh, I saw that word in Reddit. And I was like, is that a typo? <laughs> is that yes. to be compassion? Yeah. Compersion, which is where you're happy or experiencing joy for seeing somebody you love feeling happiness or love for somebody else, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a combat to the jealousy piece of it because is there a finite amount of love? I don't know. Is there? Can one person only produce so much love? So like then the community's answer to that is to feel joy for seeing somebody you care about have that romantic feeling for somebody else. That's definitely one way to look at it. And another thing to think about in these relationships is a hierarchy. So this isn't the case across the board because as we've established, everything is very customizable. There are people in poly relationships that rank their relationships. So there's some that are their primary, their secondary, their tertiary. And wow, does that seem like it could be difficult? I don't know about you, but I don't want to be anyone's secondary especially, or tertiary, especially if I don't have my own 
primary. That makes sense if you're looking at it as you need to be paired off. But there's probably some people who are fine not taking the commitment level of being someone's primary. Like, oh, I'm your tertiary. I only have to see you a couple times a month and then I can go do my own thing. Some people might find comfort in that. I am a competitive. I like being number one. So I'm with you where like I would not like being a secondary or tertiary. But not everybody wants to be in that monogamous relationship. Maybe they're happy at that level. Here's a situation that I heard about in my research where it was a married woman who then was in a primary situation with her husband. She then engaged in a secondary situation with an ex-lover of hers who was also married. And they were secondaries together because they both shared a specific hobby. So they would go out and do that specific hobby together on dates. That sounds like it makes perfect sense. It's it's all these weird shapes, right? Because you might be in one shape doesn't mean you're not connected to another shape. Exactly. And all these other pieces. A lot of trigonometry involved here. Too much (laughs) for me. I studied communication. Well, that's what I'm saying. So, you know, that's great. You have two people who have primary relationships and then they have a secondary relationship together. That seems very harmonious. But if you have you are a primary who has a secondary, that secondary doesn't isn't connected to another shape and doesn't have another primary. That's where the communication comes in. I would almost say that you and I are secondary in the fact that we both enjoy this podcasting. It's almost just like finding somebody you have a hobby with. Are you propositioning me? Name the time, name the place. (laughs) Rachel and Laura, secondaries forever. (laughs) And the union of impolite society. (laughs) It might actually take more time than my marriage, to be honest. (laughs) Sometimes. It certainly feels that way sometimes. And then recruitment. This is another challenge how do people often adopt this lifestyle? And it's often by being recruited, quote unquote, by a current partner. Well, that definitely sounds creepy when you put it like recruitment and recruiting. And this is what Rocky's experiencing, no doubt, on her dating Exactly. And I'm trying to be empirical here. I was trying in my research. I actually did one whole draft and then I was like, this does not represent my feelings in the slightest. And so then I had to go back and I added some different things because I didn't feel right just being like, I don't know, not commenting on This is a podcast, right? I'm telling you how I feel. But this recruitment issue, this is a huge issue. People aren't dragged into this lifestyle, but it's not exactly their idea. They didn't come to the table with it. It's usually a partner, which is usually a man who is mostly into this, that brings it up. And the partner is kind of cajoled into it over time. So you're in a committed relationship. You're tied with this individual. And if your partner says that they want to explore this, and in the spirit of being a good partner, you try to give it a go, it's, wow, Uh, just the amount of unhealthy mental processes that have to be going on right now really rock me. So poly people, they talk a lot about infinite love and that you're conditioned to be monogamous through society. It's a lot about personal growth and your insecurities you have to work through and you're codependent and how much attachment do you have to people. There was a lot of this terminology in a lot of the things that I read. And the way they talk in this psychobabble and they talk like they are the enlightened, evolved ones. And everyone else that doesn't believe this way is below them and somehow inferior or, oh, you just haven't come to my level of uh, personal growth and of infinite love. They're making their partner feel less than for wanting what they want. And that's not cool, man. That's a really sneaky trick to pull on somebody. And that goes against kind of the most basic principles of the lifestyle, which is communication and honesty and that kind of stuff. Well, I I don't think that it does because they're seeing themselves, if I am communicating, I am being honest, I'm telling you what I think. And fine, you can think that all you want, but these partners are telling their significant others, this is what I feel and this is why it's so much better and I'm so enlightened. And if you're stuck in this idea of monogamy, then you're just less than. Well, no, I'm just saying that if that's not for you, then and you're not communicating that, is that... 
any different than a lot of other relationships where people aren't really communicating their needs and what they want? Because I feel like that happens a lot. Oh, it absolutely happens a lot. So this other thing that I, like, we talked about, you said the people feeling a lot of pride Mm -hmm. in it. Is that any different than, like, people who do CrossFit, right? People who, like, sacrifice. Yeah, and I fucking hate everyone who does CrossFit. I'm sorry, guys. You're so annoying. Okay, because these are people who have given up something. They're sacrificing, and they're taking a lot of pride in it. Um, Annoying. It's, like, borderline cultish. You're like, God, get over it. Great. You're You're CrossFit. Good for you. Uh, this reminds me of our, our parenting episode we had back in the big talk days. <laughs> Where it's just like something is hard and people are making sacrifices for it. Like I'm sure it takes a lot to overcome the idea of your partner being with somebody else, be- whether it's conditioned, whether it's natural, whether it's da-da-da-da. But people take a lot of pride in any kind of sacrifice that they make, whether it's waking up at 5 a.m. to go to CrossFit, whether it's losing three months of sleep to raise an infant, whether it's... I take no pride in that. All I do is bitch about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's hard. It's a, it's hard. and It sucked. <laughs> I, I think that you can, when you get on the other side, right, be proud of what you did. Whenever you're putting yourself in a comfortable situation, you're growing. So this, like, holier-than-thou attitude... It might just be a cause of that where they put themselves in a situation they've been uncomfortable and maybe they have grown from it in their own perspective. Well, and and that's fine from them, from their perspective. But again, to say that other people are less than because they want something different, that's not cool. Are they saying that they're less than? When you're talking about how evolved you are and that, oh, you're only into monogamy because you have an attachment problem, you're codependent. Yeah, I think that they are. There was a book that was available on Google Scholar and I was looking through it and it was this, it was like polyamory in the 21st century or something. And this woman was talking about why people participate in polyamory. And this one session that she recounted like from a therapist office made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Like the way that it was phrased. It was this woman whose husband was polyamorous and like he was trying to get her to participate and she was uncomfortable with it and they were, quote, working through it with this therapist who was also very pro-polyamory. And they were like, oh, by addressing her discomfort, we made her look at her discomfort and realize she was only discomfort comforted because she was upset but it was like you are straight gaslighting this woman like telling her that she's not allowed to be uncomfortable about this even though she clearly was like and it was just very upsetting to read i'm picking up what you're putting down here in this case and if we're gonna really flip the script then because we talked about consensual non-monogamy But is monogamy consensual? In our society, do people really choose to be monogamous or is that because that is the path that's laid out for them? So if you're looking at that perspective, there's non-consensual monogamy happening every day. People who are stuck in failed marriages, is that what you mean? Across the board, people who maybe are like, oh, well, I love this person um, and I don't want to lose them. So I'm going to be monogamous, even if it's not what I feel I want to do or it's not what's best for me. And I think that's where you get a lot of resentment in marriages over mm-hmm. time. And-, and I think that's what everyone is trying to avoid. So that is when your spouse comes to you and says, oh, I want to experience polyamory. You want to be like, well, I don't want you to resent me. So let's go ahead and give this a try. And so I think it just comes down to a base level of incompatibility in that case. Well, and yeah, if you can't lay down your boundaries, that you should be able to say, no, that's not for me. Like, this isn't going to work out. Granted, we don't live in a vacuum. Uh, Intersectionality here where for women it's harder, right? Because they're more likely to be financially dependent on their significant other. They're also told a woman's value is her status of being in relation to men. So it is harder for women to draw that line. But what we've talked about in the past about people being their own person and being able to make their own decisions and not being victims of circumstance, that they should be able to stand up for themselves in that moment. That's what you need. This isn't for us. Yeah. And I guess yeah, that's no. the moral of the story here because we keep going, we're talking, we're talking. It's just really know what you want and be able to advocate for it. And it is shitty if a therapist is telling you that what you want isn't valid. That is yeah. shitty. Um, 
But just be able to know what you want and be able to advocate for yourself because apparently there's all kinds of sketchiness happening in the world. A lot of the Reddits and the articles that I read from Polyamorous also, I'm just going to say this, they were just straight weird. Like there was a lot of talk about anti-capitalism and feminism, Marxism, mm, yeah, and feminism. energies. That's weird. And no, no, no. I mean, <laughs> just like the way that they were like framing it, it was like some sort of like political choice. That's just because the group that's doing it is those rich white liberals. So this, yeah, does it surprise you that they're communist? No, that's what I'm no. saying. And just like, is this just general <laughs> counterculture shit? Like it all has to be wrapped up in there? I don't know. But the whole thing just left me with like, what the fuck? Well, this copulation has always existed in the world right it was in the 60s with the free love and it was mm-hmm. before that in some other kind of way so yeah I, it was just something that I had to mention because it came enough it came up enough for me to be like what <laughs> so as two married monogamous women aside from our secondary impolite society relationships that we have going on I think we both know how hard it is to achieve real emotional intimacy with one person Do you think that it's possible to have a fulfilling emotional relationship with multiple people at the same time? Oh, yeah, 100%. I think you can have a fulfilling emotional relationship with multiple people. Yeah, yeah. I guess maybe the difference is emotional versus romantic. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, because I definitely have a fulfilling emotional relationship with many of my friends while also having my monogamous relationship. Yeah, I didn't think that was groundbreaking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Have a fulfilling emotional and romantic relationship with several people at the same time. I honestly think you can love multiple people at one time just because humanity is complex, right? You could love multiple people in a family way. You can love multiple people in a platonic way. So why? what's mm-hmm. to stop you from loving more than one person romantically? I think that it is possible, but I don't think it's possible in the sense of like when you're 17 and you're having your first love. That's impossible mm-hmm. because you love so deeply there. And I think yeah. that's why it's tied to those older demographics. I shouldn't even say older. 40 is the new 30. You know, <laughs> I, it's just, it's tied to those people who are a little bit more grounded in who they are and grounded in what they want out of life. I think about that th- this was a term, new relationship energy, NRE, that was in some of the, the articles and Reddits that I read. So new relationship energy, where is this exactly what you're talking about? And I think that happens even if you are in your 40s and 50s. Oh, definitely. Like when you meet that new person, yeah, it is that all-consuming, like I want nothing to do with anybody else. I only want to talk and hang out and be with you. Like how do you – have that while at the same time maintaining that baseline relationship. I mean, I just think about how full my day is and that I have a hard enough time trying to connect with the husband that I live with. I'm tired, right? And I'm like, do I want to recount my day to you and tell you all the things that happened to me and so you can understand where I'm coming from and how I was? And I don't always succeed in doing that. I can't imagine trying to do that with one person all the time and a second person all the time. And this is what I think about it. This is somebody who's been in a relationship for, what, 20 years with the same person, almost 20 years. That's hard enough to do. I can't imagine trying to do that with two people at the same time. Well, I think it would be different, right? Because you would not be... With the second person, I imagine that in some situations, it's the primaries and then the secondaries kind of rotate Mm -hmm. through. It wouldn't be work because you would be excited, right? Remember when you and Austin first met? Yeah, excited to talk about that with that new relationship person, right? You would be excited to tell them. What about your primary person? How do you maintain that connection? Oh, maybe I'm not the best person to to ask because in you're describing those things. I'm like, I don't do that now. <laughs> I don't come home and rehash my day with Dan. Well, and I don't think that I I don't do it all the time either. But I 
acknowledge the fact that that is the kind of thing that keeps our relationship emotionally close because going through the motions of everyday life of like okay we gotta we get up we both go to work and i gotta take the kid to the daycare and then you gotta pick them up and do the thing like when your relationship devolves to just that and that's when relationships get into trouble because you're going through all this personal growth uh every single day you know minute though it might be you're going through this growth and when you're not sharing it with a person in your life That leads to distance, even though you're physically close. So trying to maintain that relationship is hard enough. And then you add another person, there's just chasms. And yeah, I I, and I think you're like we talked about with that, like chemical reaction, your brain hijacks you a little bit. So it's easier to make time for that new person. And there's like this quote I read back in the day when I was young and passionate (laughs) about life. And it was something along the lines of, I'd rather live heartbreak to heartbreak than the the long drawn out. And so I think there is definitely something to having those highs and lows, highs and lows. And maybe that's kind of the piece that this polyamory is speaking to is that you have your stability, you have your rock, but then you also pursue that chemical high Mm -hmm. in other people. So it's maybe even less about the relationship with other people, but just a new form of like, drug use right of hijacking your brain to make life more pleasurable because we are living for a century i think (laughs) you've nailed on something important so one of the things that i read it was an article um from this woman who discovered she was bisexual or a lesbian kind of early in her life and so she experimented and she did a lot of different things she had polyamorous relationships in her life and then eventually made her way back to monogamy and one of the things that she said was an eye-opener is she was talking to one of her friends and she was going through all these standard arguments monogamy is not natural and relationships fail marriages fail and then she said no one person is going to meet all your needs and her friend said you really think you're always going to get your needs met and she was like oh shit, (laughs) like that was the thing that clicked with her is that you're not going to get all of your needs met ever, no matter how many people you collect or have relationships with or secondary tertiary or families with, no matter how many connections you make, you are never going to get all of your needs met. So trying to chase that perfect harmony is a waste of time. This is what she came to was that there is no perfect life. I'm always going to be struggling. I'm always going to have needs that aren't going to be met. Why not simplify my life and just make my life with one person and accept there are going to be boxes that aren't checked in my life. And I was like, preach sister. (laughs) Those are all decisions that we're making every day, right? Those are things that we are deciding and those are the boxes that we are leaving unchecked. So if somebody reprioritizes their boxes where they want to check more in that relationship category and less in, I don't know, the (laughs) podcasting category or the gym category, right? I've felt this a lot lately in my day-to-day life where I'm like, oh, suddenly what I eat and how many miles I run a week has become a lot less important. (laughs) And so that box has been going unchecked. And if somebody wants to prioritize those different boxes and that means being in a consensual polyamorous relationship, more power to you because they're still... By choosing to do that, they're unchecking other things. Like they're not probably getting enough sleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was just going to guess. Or time or time to themselves. So it's just about priorities. Yeah. And if that's what's important to you, I don't think it needs to be vilified. I think that is a great point. And we are going to see what checks that box of happiness more. Is it monogamy or polygamy? After this break. So people outside of the community, they have very strong reactions to consensual non-monogamy. As we have discussed, it can really wreck your life. Uh, (laughs) We know it's a taboo, so we know there's a lot of disgust, a lot of moral indignation. But another reaction people have is pity. So people think that people in consensual non-monogamous relationships, they couldn't possibly as happy and satisfied and fulfilled as an individual in a monogamous relationship. And there have been a few studies done on the happiness factor. And these results are pretty interesting, if I do say so myself. So in Canada, 
Research that was conducted in 2018 studied this group of 350 people. And this was a group of mixed people, so consensual non-monogamy and monogamous. But it wasn't a 50-50 mix. And in this, quote, participants reported on their sexual motivation during their most recent sexual event, their level of sexual need fulfillment, and measures of sexual and relational satisfaction with their current or primary partner. What they found was that there was no difference in the two groups' level of relationship and sexual satisfaction. So according to this study, it's a wash. Whether you're boning or emotionally connected with several people or only one person, it all came out the same. All came out in the wash. So it's equally valid, right? <laughs> I mean, exactly. That That is what this study came up with. I think that this is a very fair point to make about life in general. It does not matter what you do. You'll probably be equally happy regardless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because all these choices don't necessarily make you happier, right? Exactly. Nothing will make you happy. <laughs> life is <laughs> suffering. Lean into the misery and the monotony and the pain. Uh, life. Preach. Uh, <laughs> uh, another study in 2050. <laughs> another study. <laughs> it's a future study beamed back in time. <laughs> you almost spit took. 2050. I'm so excited. Tell us what's in store. <laughs> in 2050. 15, they collected responses from 500 people in an online survey. And this looked at older U.S. adults, 55 plus, who engaged in uh, non-exclusive sexual relationships. So this could be a lot of different things. 555 plus knew how to use an online survey. (laughs) Apparently. surprising. They're hip. (laughs) They're cool. And they're liberal (laughs) master's degrees. (laughs) Ah, They compared these responses to a similarly sized group of adults in the general population. And what they found, it was shocking. And it will rock you to your very core, Rachel. The people who experienced non-exclusive sexual relationships had more sex than monogamous. (laughs) What a surprise. (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. But actually, they were also in better health. And they were significantly happier than the general population. So if you're going to go this route, maybe do it when you're old because apparently they are just thrilled about it. So then I'm going to throw in that causation versus correlation because if you are polyamorous, like we said, where you're more inclined to be wealthy. So you might have just been taking better care of yourself because we all know rich people, they can afford those whole foods, foods, the organic shit that the rest of us only dream about and buy on our birthdays so i think that that's probably a correlation as much as it is a causation and that in that sense well i'm gonna say that i think this research is a red herring so it was quoted in the polyamorous research but i think it's really it was not a red a- herring <laughs> communism was a red herring clue clue the movie <laughs> that's right you got my reference I know, exactly. That's what I was trying to reference, but you knew exactly what I was trying to reference. And then you referenced it, and I got the reference. (laughs) This is why we're secondaries. (laughs) Well, because this study really wasn't about consensual non-monogamy. It was about non-exclusive sexual relationships. Mm. That means these people were just playing the field. So they're older, they're divorced, or their spouses are dead, and they're dating. What's not to love about that? (laughs) Well, I I feel like dating at 55 plus would be maybe a little difficult. But then again, everybody's got lower inhibitions, you know? You see the pearly gates on the horizon. (laughs) You're like, you know, there's no moment like now. And I will also say that if you're single and you're playing the field, you maybe have a little bit more incentive to keep it tight Tight. so maybe that's why you're healthier in that regard too so again falls back into that causation versus correlation yeah and a little fun aside on this is that the group that came closest to the the single happening people who were so happy were married men and Mm. i know that both of us we've talked about those studies that show that married men are the happiest of all of us and they live longer than single men meanwhile we trade our lives for spouses exactly i mean they have what we all want is a woman to take care of us right that's what makes everyone the happiest a wife mommy (laughs) wife mommy where are my slacks 
wife, mommy. Where's the ketchup? Where do we keep the sheets in this house? Another study in 2014, the Journal of Sex Research, they published this beast of an article. It looked at a ton of different studies and combined it all together to look at consensual non-monogamists and their levels of happiness. So they dug into this research that other people had done and they got out their calculators, right? And they wanted to see if people who were swinging in open relationships or polyamorous relationships were really more or less happy than monogamous and the answer was again about the same so quote the majority of research suggests that the psychological well-being and the quality of relationships of consensual non-monogamous is not significantly different from that of monogamous this is evident in terms of psychological well-being overall relationship adjustment jealousy sexual satisfaction and relationship stability so it did admit that there was uh, a sizable amount of inconsistency within the data. So all these different studies that other people had done, they compounded it into their calculators. They did notice that two studies conducted on two different groups of people could come up with totally different results. And that let the researchers know that the happiness of a person in these relationships is really down to the individual rather than the circumstances that they were in, whether it's polyamorous or monogamous. God damn. So is this saying that we make our own happiness, that we can't find happiness externally and it's really down to us to make it and achieve it and manifest it? Because I, I can't handle that. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it's saying. <laughs> If you are an unhappy, a jealous, a chaotic person, you're going to be that way whether you're in a monogamous relationship or a polyamorous relationship. It doesn't matter. You are who you are. That's a lesson we can all take out of here. And much like in our BDSM episode, the researchers do admit that this group is hard to study. It's hard to find them, right? So the best places to find these individuals is to go on websites that are dedicated to polyamory. And these websites are usually only talking about those positive aspects of non-monogamy. And people will self-select into studies when they've had a positive experience. If you've had a soul-crushing experience, you're not hanging out on these websites that talk about how great it is. I went to Rome. I didn't really like Rome. I'm not hanging out on the Yay Rome Reddit, right? When they're going to do a poll about what do you think of Rome on that website... I'm not going to be included in it. So it's really a difficult thing to gauge for scientists. Where do you find these people that's not in a yay or I hate it forum online? So all that in your head, thinking about all the different things that we've talked about. Back to the root question. Is monogamy a dead end? And the answer, I think, is pretty simple here. No. No fucking way. <laughs> I mean, it's not going to go away anytime soon. But if no. we've learned anything from the studies... You're going to be equally happy no matter what you do. So just do what you want to do and not what somebody else wants you to do. Relationships are super complicated. And it sounds like polyamory can work for some people, but not others. And it doesn't make you any happier than somebody in a monogamous relationship. It's not your thing. Don't do it. Don't feel pressured. Everyone should be able to say what they need, and have people listen. So if you want a poly relationship, great. You need to find someone who feels that way. And anything other than an enthusiastic yes from your committed partner, that's a no. That was something that I saw in the threads and I was like, mm. okay, you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, don't do the bait and switch. You break up with them because... Exactly. I mean, that sucks, but you're not going to be happy. Neither one of you is going to be happy in the long run. Exactly. And that's what I was saying. So that sentence that I read, you just replace it all over again with monogamy. So if you want to have a monogamous relationship, great. You need to find someone that feels the same way because that's just the long and short of it. The bottom line is, in my opinion, you can't convince anyone to love the way that you do. So if you want a polyamorous relationship, you can't convince somebody else to be into it. If you're in a monogamous relationship, somebody wants to be polyamorous, you can't convince them to be into it either. And I think that's what that really boils down to. When you're out there in the dating scene and you're meeting people, just know what you are after. 
and then be able to advocate for yourself because that's important, mm-hmm. whether you're in a polyamorous relationship or whether you're in a monogamous relationship. Laura and I, we don't really feel like we're in a position to give anybody dating advice because we've both been with our significant others for a long time. But I would say that is the one thing that I have taken from my five years of marriage is just just be very much for yourself. That sounds bad. No, advocate for yourself and advocate for you one. If somebody doesn't match it, bye. There is somebody else who will be very appreciative of the situation, whether that's Mm -hmm. feeling that you need to be monogamous or you need to not be monogamous. Rocky, we've talked. I've listened to your show. I feel like you're a gal who knows what you want out of life and who you are. And I don't think you should compromise that for anybody you meet in the dating scene. This is where we landed, and I feel like it's a very solid space to land. Just know what you're into and know what you're comfortable with and be willing to go to bat for yourself. And I don't think you can argue with that. (laughs) (laughs) So that's it for polyamory, guys. That is the research. That is our musings, our thoughts on it. Let us know what you think. Let us know if you secretly dream of kinky monogamous relationships. And let's just say, (laughs) listeners, if you're interested, Laura is not open to polyamory. She is not. I may may be a little bit. Like, hit us up. Hit us up. And if you want to hit us up to maybe take me and my husband out on a date, um, (laughs) you can reach us on Instagram, TikTok, and our Facebook group, The Impolite Society. Or you can just send us a sexy email at rude at impolitesocietypodcast.com. We got a sexy email this week, actually. We did. It was about flashlights. We'll let you know about that one later, guys. We, we're going to do an episode. Oh, it's definitely going to come up. So thank you, our friend who sent that in. Tell us all about your sex toy mishaps. <laughs> I've got so many to tell. I could do a whole episode on Laura's sex toy mishaps. Really? How many can one person have? Apparently more than two. (laughs) (laughs) So three. (laughs) If you're curious, Laura has had three sex toy mishaps. (laughs) And I think the the most important thing to take away from this is you don't always have to agree with the people in your life, right? Because I think Laura and I have very differing stances (laughs) and we can still get along. We can still be each other's secondaries and that's the moral Yes. Yeah, get out of your echo chambers. Get rid of that algorithm. If you know somebody that would disagree with this podcast, send it to them. Because that is how any podcast grow, guys, is by word of mouth. So send it to your friends that also would love it. But send them to the ones that would hate it, too, because we want to, you know, expose ourselves to new and different perspectives. We want to expose ourselves to as many people as possible. And you can make that dream reality. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. We are out for the night. Uh, This has been a lot. Classic podcast signed off. This was too much. (laughs) (laughs) Is that the drums or is that the pounding of our brains reaching capacity? I think that is exactly. (laughs) Okay, well, we'll we'll put a cap on this until the next time. (laughs) Bye. Pornography. (laughs) 